0: Going to turn for our scripture reading, first of all, to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 31. We'll read the verses 9 through 13. Deuteronomy 31, 9 through 13. Then Moses wrote this law and gave it to the priests, the sons of Levi, who carried the ark of the covenant of the Lord and to all the elders of Israel. And Moses commanded them. At the end of every seven years, at the set time in the year of release, at the Feast of Booths, when all Israel comes to appear before the Lord your God at the place that he will choose, you shall read this law before all Israel in their hearing. Assemble the people, men, women, and little ones, and the sojourner within your towns, that they may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, and be careful to do all the words of this law. And that their children, who have not known it, may hear and learn to fear the Lord your God, as long as you live in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. And now we turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll read the verses 13 through 25. 1 Peter 2, 13 through 25. Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing. When mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Finally, we turn to Paul's letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, we'll read the verses 1 through 9. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Bondservants, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. So far, the reading of God's Word. We turn now to Lord's Day 39 of the Heidelberg Catechism in the back of the Psalter hymnal on page 891, Lord's Day 39. I'll read the question, and together we will read the answer. What is God's will for you in the fifth commandment? That I show honor, love, and faithfulness to my Father and mother and all those in authority over me. Submit myself with proper obedience to all their good teaching and discipline. congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's perfectly clear that the fifth commandment is addressed to children. But what does it actually ask of children? What's all included? What does God mean when he says honor your father and your mother? A lot of people wonder if there's an age limit or if there's a life situation limit on this commandment. Do we still have to keep the fifth commandment when we become adults? Do we still have to keep the fifth commandment, honor our father and mother when we're old enough to leave the home and to answer things and decide things for ourselves? Do we only have to keep the fifth commandment as long as we're under our parents' authority in their home, or are we out from under it once we turn 18? It's true that after we've grown up, and we've moved out of the house, we still have to honor our parents. But we do that in different ways than we did when we were small and when we were under their care. But that never changes. We always are commanded, we always are expected to honor our parents. And we have to understand that the relationship between children and parents in Scripture is a kind of model or a a kind of pattern for every relationship and every situation in which we find ourselves in authority or under authority. The reality is that whoever or wherever we are, whether at school or at work or in church and society, we are always under someone else's authority. So there is never a time, there's never a situation where we don't have to keep, where we are not bound by the fifth commandment. According to Lord's Day 39, the heart of what God commands is that we recognize the authority that others have been given over us. And that we submit ourselves to that authority. The Dutch translation of answer 104 helps us understand why it's so important for us to do that. And that answer starts out like this that I show all honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and to all who have been given authority over me. That's the the particular insight, that's the particular understanding that we need to have. But I always have to remember the person who has authority over me was given that authority. Of course, the one who gave them that authority over me is God. That's what the Bible says, and that's how answer 104 ends. It is God's will to govern us by their hand. And I have to take that very personally. I don't just take that in a general sense. That's where authority comes from. But I have to take that specifically, I have to take that personally. It is God's will to govern me by the hands of these particular people whom He has placed at this time, in this circumstance, in authority over me. To whom He has given authority in this time and place over me. Of course, if God stands behind them, that means that I have to honor them. But if God stands behind them, that also means... That being under their authority is for my good. And that always and everywhere I will live under the authority of others. I'm going to preach God's word to you this afternoon under the theme, In His goodness, God places us under the authority of others. We'll talk first about His purpose, then about His expectation, and finally about His promise. In His goodness, God places us under the authority of others. His purpose his expectation, his promise. Well, here in Canada, we have a democracy, and that means at least to some extent that we have the the right, we have the freedom to choose those who are going to govern us. And when an election happens, as recently did, we check the list of candidates, and we come to a conclusion, we cast our vote with the expectation, or with an eye toward, rather, uh, the person who is best equipped, the person who is best suited to take on that responsibility, the one who is best able to to serve in the capacity, in case of a federal election, as a member of parliament. And if we would compare parents and children, we would recognize, it's pretty clear to us, that generally speaking, parents are better suited to be in charge. Parents are more able to be in charge. They're more qualified. They're older, they have more wisdom, they have more experience than their children. And so it makes good sense, it's practical, that the adults, the parents, are in charge at home. But when it comes down to it, whether you talk about the people who are elected to govern us, or you talk about our parents, or anyone else who's in authority, they do not finally have authority over us because they're more qualified because they're more able to do whatever it takes to to be an authority in government than we do. And that's not why God commands us to honor them, because after all, you need to recognize they're more able to do this than you are. If that were the case, it would come a time for every child, when he doesn't have any more, she doesn't have any more, to honor her parents. And there will be lots of situations in your life where you might feel free to disobey the one in authority over you, to disobey the people who govern you, because as far as we are concerned, they are not qualified. They have disqualified themselves from having the right to tell us what to do, to be an authority. Finally, the only rationale, the only basis for parents' authority or anyone's authority is the fact that God gave it to them. I have to honor and love and be faithful to them because it is God's will to govern me by their hand. Answer 104 tries to work out how I have to honor my father and mother. It uses a variety of words, of terms for that. One of the things it says is that I have to submit myself to them. I have to submit myself to my parents. And you think about the language. You think about that action. It's something I have to do. It's something I have to decide and be committed to do. This is the attitude I have to have toward my parents and toward those in authority over me. I have to submit myself to them. I can say, and they can say, God put me under their their authority. And no matter how I think about it, no matter how I feel about it, I can't change it. I, I can take that approach. But this is for me. This is my responsibility in the relationship. This is what I have to consciously decide to do. I have to submit myself to them. Well, it sounds like Pretty old-fashioned language. Submission is certainly completely out of step with the way people think and the way people act in our culture, what people even esteem or or hold in high regard in our culture. But the Bible is, is perfectly clear about this. The Bible uses very strong language when it works out, when it uses synonyms for what it means to honor your parents or honor those in authority over you. In Leviticus 19 the Lord says every one of you shall revere your father and your mother and the Holy Spirit uses that same word that you find in Leviticus 19 in first Samuel 12 where it says Samuel called upon the Lord and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel in the NIV it says the people stood in awe of the Lord and Samuel that's That's honoring, that's revering. They stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. Of course, the way a child honors his parents is going to be different than the way a student honors his teacher or the way a citizen shows respect to a police police officer. And so there are obviously different ways to work this out in all the different relationships in which we find ourselves. But the bottom line, if we want to say it that way, is this, that this is God's command. I show all honor, love, and faithfulness to my father and mother and to all those in authority over me. And we discover maybe to our surprise and maybe to our regret that what the Lord commands is not only obedience, This commandment is not only a matter of what the Lord expects me to do. God in this commandment, like in all the commandments, speaks to my heart and speaks to my attitudes, speaks to my motivation. And God is commanding me to have this fundamental attitude, to have this way of thinking and feeling about those in authority over me. I must honor them. I must revere them. I must love them. We need to understand why God expects this of us. And we have to fix this into our hearts and minds. Why does God do things this way? Why does God put me under parents? Why does God put me under other people in authority? Why are these authority relationships in place even? Why do they exist? Why does the Lord say, I have to not only obey them, but honor them? Again, we could think very practically about this commandment, and we could ask the question, what would happen if no one was in charge? In a family where there are no parents to keep the kids under control, or or to look after things in the home? That would be bad enough wouldn't it to to live in a home where no one's in charge I, I often ask my catechism students that question of course nobody really wants to be under authority but how would you like to be in a home without parents the first initi- the first reaction of course is that that sounds like fun but after a while they they come to understand it would be chaos it would be disorder it would not be a pleasant place to be so that would be bad enough if the home had no parents no one in authority but What would our society look like if parents had no authority over their children? What happens to a society, to a culture, where uh, children don't learn to respect authority in the home, don't learn to be obedient in the home? Well, we hardly have to imagine that anymore because we're living this reality. We can see it all around us. We can see with our own eyes when children are not taught to honor their parents in the home. That undermines the, the good order and the peace and the safety of the whole society. Because it's, it's clear if they don't respect their parents' authority, they won't respect the authority of their teachers or their bosses or the police. So again, we can see there's a very good practical reason for the fifth commandment. Very simple God doesn't want chaos, and we don't want chaos either, and that's all true enough. Chaos at home means chaos everywhere else. Good order at home means good order everywhere else, but that's not the main reason why God gives us the fifth commandment. Remember how God introduced the Ten Commandments. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And all the commandments flow out of what God has done for us and who God is for us. All the commandments are not just rules, God saying this is how it has to be. All the commandments are redemptive. All the commandments are meant to help us live in the freedom that we have in Jesus Christ. God didn't give His people this commandment because God wanted children in Israel to be good little children, obedient little boys and girls. God didn't give this commandment to Israel because He wanted to make life easier for mothers and fathers in Israel. God gave us this commandment for the same reason. He gives us all the commandments so that we would know Him and we would trust in Him and we would serve Him as our Redeemer. We all need to make sure we understand the place God has given to parents and to elders and to teachers and others in our lives. It's God's will. It's already hinted at, it's already indicated in those words. It's God's will to govern us by their hands. He has appointed them to be His representatives in our lives. It is the role of parents and of teachers and of elders. To show us and to teach us who God is. And what God is like and what God wants for us. And it's for the sake of that ministry, of that purpose, that God commands us to honor them. If you want to give a very literal definition of the, the Hebrew word that stands behind honor, you could say it means to take a person seriously, to consider that person important. It has to do with, with weight even. And we, we can speak about that, how, how there is a weighty presence among some. They have, they have that standing. That's honor. Recognize the position. Recognize the place that God has given to that person. Consider that person important for the sake of the place God has given them in your life. And that place is critical to teach you who God is for you. Take those in authority seriously so that you can take what they teach you, what they say to you seriously. Respect them so that you trust them when they teach you. When a baby is baptized here in this church, after we've talked about what baptism means, after we've talked about how our baptism teaches us that we need to be born again, that we need to have our sins washed away in the blood and spirit of Jesus Christ, that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together make uh, promises of salvation to us and to our children because we belong to God. After we've been reminded of the other side of the covenant, the obligation to love God and trust Him and forsake the world, then we say, as this child grows up, his parents have the duty to instruct him in these things. And in a way, we can say that is the whole responsibility of the parents. This is what parenting is from A to Z. Everything parents do for their children with their children comes under that heading. Is a fulfillment of that duty. When they provide their children with food and clothing, when they discipline their children because they're going wrong, when they teach their children to love their neighbor, to love the Lord their God, when parents love their children and spend time with their children, they are modeling, they are teaching their children who God is and they're teaching their children who they are before the face of God. And while we say that's their duty, that's their obligation, let's understand that's also their privilege to teach their children who are conceived and born in sin, subject to all manner of misery, even to condemnation itself. Christian parents have the privilege to teach those children who God is and to fear the Lord. Say there is a Redeemer for sinners. There's a God who saves. There's a God who has promised you personally He will be your God. Think of what the Lord says to fathers in Exodus 13 about explaining the meaning of the Passover to their children. You shall tell your son on that day, it is because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt, and when in time your son asks you, what does this mean? You shall say to him, by a strong hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt from the house of slavery. That that instruction from the Lord doesn't mean you have to wait now until your child actually asks you some of these things. They had to talk about these things. They had to impress these things on their children, on their hearts, all their lives. But the point that the Lord is making there is don't just tell your children. Don't just tell your church member, your student what they are supposed to do. Don't just tell them, you have to read the Bible. They have to, uh, you have to obey me. You have to do your homework. You have to treat each other with respect. Don't just say those things. Explain why. Make sure they understand God wants them to do those things because they are God's holy and redeemed people. And this is how redeemed people live. This is how people live who are set free from slavery to sin. That's what God expects of parents and of everyone who's in authority among his people. Whenever we talk about authority, we talk about submission, certain Certain thoughts, certain ideas come into our minds. People who are in authority might get to think. That's what this relationship is all about. I have authority. That means you have to listen. And the people under authority might get to think. That's what this all seems to be about. They're in charge. And I have to do whatever they tell me to do. Having authority over others is never an end in itself. Just obeying our parents and our elders is never just an end in itself. God is doing something way bigger and way more important than that in those relationships. Every time we hear a sermon about Lord's Day 39, lots of other times besides, So many of our conversations, we talk about our society today, we say, wow, we have a problem with authority. And what we usually mean when we say that we have a problem with authority is not literally we, as in I have a problem with authority. We usually talk about our children. Our children have a problem with authority. Talk talking about Canadian society. Canadian society got a problem with authority. There's no respect for authority anymore. But we all know how we fell into sin. We all know what it was that convinced Adam and Eve to take the fruit God had plainly said to them, don't take. We all know what is at the root of that disobedience and that disrespect. So we know what's at the root of all disobedience and all disrespect. Satan said to Eve, God only told you not to eat this fruit because he wants to be the one who's in control. And the truth is, if you take the fruit, you'll be like God. You will know good and evil. You'll be in control of your life. You'll be in control of this world. Because you'll get to decide what's right and what's wrong. You get to decide what you're going to do and what you're not going to do. Instead of having to listen to what God says, you will be like God. And that's the seed, and that's the essence of all my sin. I want to be sovereign. I want to be in control. We can't help ourselves. It's as natural and automatic to us as it can be. All you have to do is look at a little child. little child can't explain their actions, can't reason through why they do what they do, but they just do it. they just disobey. We can barely talk and we already say no to our parents. We can only crawl, but we're bound and bent to do what our mother said we weren't supposed to do. Nobody had to teach our children to be that way. Nobody had to teach our children to think that way. That is in us. That's deep inside every one of us. Not only the children, not only the church members or the students, also the fathers and the mothers, also the elders and the teachers. Also the ones who are in authority. We all want to be sovereign. We all want to be in control. And that's how we use, that's how we exercise our authority. To make people do what we think they should do. To make them do what we want them to do. As if that's what we're there for. To get them to submit. As if it's only about obedience. And we use our authority in the wrong way. And we use our authority for the wrong reasons. We're not showing our children, for example, what God is like. What makes it so serious. Why it's such a stumbling block to faith when parents and teachers and elders abuse their authority because they misrepresent God, because they send the wrong message about God. Jacob created all kinds of strife and misery in his family. He exasperated his children by favoring Joseph over his brothers. The Lord took the kingship away from Saul and gave it to David because Saul thought this authority as king is my personal property and I can use it for my advantage, for my purposes, to gather wealth and to build a dynasty for my sons. He didn't represent God. He acted like he was God. And he suffered a terrible judgment from God. It's very hard to be under the authority of someone who abuses it. Very hard to be someone under someone's authority when I don't agree with them. When I just think, you know, you are wrong, then I can't see God anymore. Then I can only see them, and they get in the way. They block my view of God. So we have to understand that when we say here in answer 104, it is God's will to govern us by the hands of sinful people. We are confessing our faith. We are confessing what we are not able to see. We are confessing our faith in God's promise. He says... I promise you, it is my will to govern you by their hand. In the fifth commandment, God is calling me to live by faith in his promise. And faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. Faith is, I look for my life, I look for my joy, not in my circumstance here in this world, but in the world to come. Faith means I find my only comfort in God's promises and belonging to Christ with body and soul. Trusting that also in this situation He is watching over me in such a way that without the will of my Father in heaven not a hair is going to fall from my head. That's why the apostles speak the way they do about submitting to those in authority over us. They always say, look beyond the people. Look to the Lord. Think about the Lord. Remember and believe that in your submission to such people, in your obedience to those people, you are, in fact, submitting yourself to the Lord. It's not a coincidence that in Romans 13, Paul gets to talk about the government and our attitude toward the governing authorities. He says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities for there is no authority except from God. He gets to that. He, it comes to his mind. He wants to say it to the Romans right after he has said to them, beloved, never revenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord you want to understand the connection? Why does he he say be subject to those in authority over you right after he talked about vengeance? Why would he have to bother talking about vengeance? Think about the people he's writing to. It always amazes us to think about this. Paul is talking to believers who are living under an emperor who burned Christians alive. Who sent Christians into the arena against the wild beasts. Let everyone be subject to Him. That is your responsibility. He has to answer to God, and God will deal with him. That's God's promise to those who are abused by those in authority over them. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Believing it is God's will to govern us by the hands of those people is what gives us the strength and the humility to keep the fifth commandment, even when we suffer injustice and persecution. So whenever Paul talks to people under authority, whenever he talks about authority, he always reminds us of the Lord. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Children, obey your parents. In the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with fear and trembling, with a sincere heart, as you would Christ. Peter says, be subject for the Lord's sake, for the Lord's sake to every human institution. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it to you if you sin and are beaten for it and you endure it? But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. It's hard to do that. In fact, it's impossible to do it if you have the mentality you only live once. In other words, this world is where I've got to get all that I'm ever going to get if you're intent on having everything you want in this life, you will not be able to suffer for doing good. You won't have the strength to be subject to those in authority over you with all respect, not only to people who are good and gentle, but even to the unjust. And when we are angry, and when we are bitter, and when we can't honor those whom God has appointed to govern us, it's a sure sign we are not living by faith a sure sign we have lost sight of God and of the promise of this commandment. Do you remember that Paul emphasizes the promise? In Ephesians 6, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, he could have stopped there, but he says, I need to remind you of the promise. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. <coughs> What does that promise mean? Not every Jewish child who honored his parents had a long and happy life in Canaan. So is this promise real? Is that promise really for all of us? Well, God didn't put the promise in the fine print. Everything tells us, everything in that commandment tells us God intends that promise, God makes that promise to every one of us. And every one of us should expect him to keep his promise like we expect him to keep every promise. God promises we will obey this commandment, our life will be long, it will go well with us in the land he gives us. Well, when Israel heard this commandment, Exodus 20, Deuteronomy 5, of course, they thought about Canaan. But the glory of life in Canaan was that it was a picture and it was a promise of life in Jesus Christ, of life in the new heaven and the new earth. It's not only the New Testament believers who know there's going to be a new heaven and a new earth. Abraham already understood that. And the writer to Hebrews says, Abraham understood it, believed it, and that's what gave him the courage and the the faith to do what he did. Because he was looking forward to far more than having some land and inheritance for his family and lots of children. We read about the heroes of faith in Hebrews 11 by faith. How did Abraham have the guts? How did Abraham have the motivation? How did he dare to do what he did? By faith, Abraham went to live in the land of promise. He was sure of what he hoped for. He was convicted of what he didn't see. He lived in the land of promise that was going to belong to him as in a foreign country living in tents with Jacob and Isaac, heirs with him of the same promise For He was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Abraham and all the other Old Covenant believers endured hardship and disappointment and confusion by putting their faith in God's promises because they desired a better country. That's what the Bible says to us. They desired a better country, not the land of Canaan, a heavenly one. And that's the life God promises us in the fifth commandment. And that hope, that expectation, that certainty will give me the strength and will give me the reason to submit myself with due obedience to the good instruction and discipline of my parents and all those in authority over me. And also to have patience with their weaknesses and their shortcomings. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, you know that when we hear these things, our minds are hard at work. And we are thinking about our own circumstance, whatever it might be. We all live in a circumstance today in which this is a prominent question, a perennial question about the rights of the government, about how we ought to react to the government. And it's not easy for us to find our way. It's not black and white in every regard. But we have these, this commandment. We have this promise. And we pray, Father, that whatever we do and however we think, we may be living in obedience to this commandment and all others. We pray for those who struggle in this regard, particularly when they are dealt with unjustly. It can be a soul-destroying experience and circumstance. It can lead young people, to turn away from the Lord and from his people. It can lead to tremendous disillusionment when those in authority abuse their authority in one way and the other. And we pray, Father, for those who are living under such circumstances. We pray for those who are prone to and indeed involved in abusing their authority, that they would repent of their sin and they would turn away from it. Father, we pray for the congregation that you will uphold and sustain. We pray for parents and children, their relationship to each other. We pray for elders and members in their relationship to each other. And we pray, Father, that we would display and experience the blessedness of living under this commandment by faith, in your promises. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.